it's important that more philanthropic dollars be coming into education. Funding and nourishing experiments in education is how we're going to make a bright future together. From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, this is Trending Jewish with Rachel Burgess and Brian Schwartzman. We're switching up the names. We are. <laughs> so welcome back to another episode of season two of Trending Jewish, where we are talking to more interesting people that are really impacting the Jewish landscape. And we're, we're back in Judaism and technology. How is Judaism being impacted and changed by technology and vice versa? And... You're so, going to say something. I, of course I was going to say something. When am I not saying something? So I'm... When you're I just interrupting to... <laughs> me saying something. I can't help it. <laughs> you're a New Yorker. I feel like that's the only way I can just... I can get in there. <laughs> it's like it's like driving in New York. You have to just kind of like get your car in there. And that's how I I am like the talking. most mild-mannered un-New Yorker, New Yorker you're going you're gonna to meet. I'm probably. still not 100% convinced you're a New Yorker. I shouldn't say that because I also know that your mother is one of our listeners. So I'm oh, sorry, I'm, Mrs. I'm, Schwartzman. I believe you. <laughs> I shouldn't go there, but you're you're a birther. I have I have a birth certificate to to prove. I was <laughs> show born on me the, the birth certificate. Born on the island of Manhattan. <laughs> um, so I have to say that with our guests today, I'm from somebody who grew up kind of in nowheresville out in the middle of the desert in arizona with no real jewish community nearby and not having access to uh, jewish education um our guests have really changed the landscape so people who lived under cacti like me had access to Jewish information. So I have to say I'm a little fangirling right now. I don't know if anybody else is. So we've got we've got the um the creators and, and director of Bim Bomb, formerly Godcast, which puts out um all kinds of Jewish digital content. But most of the content is actually there's animations and um different very short videos, but most of it's actually geared toward adults actually so you watch these videos you can pretty much watch the entire torah you can watch the you entire can... torah every single parsha has a video and and there are even some uh animated stories from the from the talmud on there so and you can learn about the holidays and it's where i learned how to do havdalah actually because uh, i never did it growing up so this is definitely a great treasure if you're just curious um, and looking for new interpretations or you're just getting started and just want to learn a little bit more about Judaism and learn about Torah and don't want to feel like ashamed for not knowing anything. This is really just good content that is digestible and interesting. I love it. So now, now that we've got people excited, we should introduce our guest. Do you, yes. Do you want? Do you want to introduce our guest? Or I'm should so I? excited. I'll 
introduce one of them is Sarah Lefton, who's the founding director of Bim Bomb, formerly Godcast. And before creating the organization as a response to her own mediocre Jewish education, I feel you, Sarah. Sarah produced early online experiments for the New York Times, The Village Voice, Princess Cruises, and several robotics companies. She graduated from NYU's Interactive Telecommunications Program, where her master's work looked at the use of geographic information systems, or GIS, augmented in virtual reality for film and TV applications. So she is very, very talented. She's got a great background in technology and storytelling. It's great. Very nice job. Good, good introduction. I, d- I try. And and and, and uh, with Sarah is Jordan Gill, who is Bim Bomb's executive director. He has spent more than twenty years in and around the Jewish nonprofit world, including long-term affiliations with Camp Tawanga, Jewish Free Loan of Los Angeles, and the Hebrew Free Loan of San Francisco, where he was director of development for more than five years. Most recently, Jordan has served as the director of global accounts for an ad tech startup based in Netanya, Israel, managing a portfolio of clients with an ad revenue of nearly $20 million. He also has a master of uh, fine arts and writing. So welcome. We're thrilled to have you, um, Jordan and Sarah. You guys have created something that seems essential that didn't didn't exist, and, and we're really excited to talk about it and i'll I'll just say um my kids i have uh i have two daughters ages seven and four and they have they have gotten into uh shaboom i I don't think they they get that it's something that's you know trying to teach them something they just they just look at it as a as a you know as a fun cartoon and i i told them i mean i kind of fudged it a little but i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna meet talk to the people that that make the cartoon and they got they got excited for a little bit, and then they kind of realized I wasn't going to be talking to Gabby and and Raphael, <laughs> and <laughs> and seemed less impressed. But I am very impressed. So so welcome, thank you for taking the opportunity to to talk with us about what you guys do and and why you do it. So so uh, sorry. So um, <laughs> I this is a thing I like to interrupt Brian. Um, so there are books. There's blogs. There's lectures. There's scholars that talk about the Jewish texts and talk about the holidays. Um, so when you started uh, Godcast, which is now Bim Bomb, um, why did you like? What was missing from all of these resources out there that you felt like Bim Bomb could fill? Like what was missing out there? So actually none of those things existed except books 10 years ago. I, I have to correct the record. There were not all these blogs, all these podcasts, all, none of that existed. Um, in 2006, when I made the pilot for what was then called Godcast, I made it out of a, a real personal frustration um, that there was nothing on the internet that wasn't kind of individual rabbis, you know, kind of like posting their dress show. Um, there wasn't anything interesting for Jews that wanted to learn online. And as somebody who was coming out of digital marketing and advertising and media and entertainment, it just, to me, was like, this thing should exist. There should be animated Parsha Hashavua. And, and I just kind of started doing it. Um, and today, thank God, right? The Jewish internet looks a lot different, but at the time it was pretty vast wasteland. <laughs> 
But even now, after, you know, now all of these things are on the scene now. Um, and yet, Bim Bomb is still fulfilling something out there. What's that magic piece that you're putting out into the world that no one else seems to be able to catch? I would, I would say that um, most of us here, and I'm speaking of all the amazing people who've worked here over the last 10 years, um, people come from a real wide world approach, like entertainment, advertising, marketing. You know, we have, our board is full of people from Pixar. We've had Apple folks here. Like we don't think like rabbis or Jewish educators, although that's part of how we think. We, we think like video producers and entertainment people. And um, we don't think that you can really educate without engaging first. So our content really straddles, um, you know, what, what great YouTube looks like and what great Jewish education looks like. And I don't think that's where other folks in the space are coming from. And it's so great to have different perspectives, but that's ours. I also think that our, our content is, is much, is not prescriptive. It presents kind of a wide array of, of beliefs within Judaism and, and kind, of a, a kind of a broad understanding um, and, and tries to have a wide tent uh, understanding of, of kind of the customs and rituals and how they're practiced across the Jewish spectrum. And so it's not prescriptive to say like, this is how something ought to be done. It's saying like, here's the wide array of, of practices and customs within Judaism and hoping to kind of connect with people where they are uh, not tell them how to behave and how to act. Uh, and, and I would kind of extend what Sarah said to say that like we position and we try and position and we understand that, that the deep learning takes place when people are entertained and engaged. And so like if the spectrum has kind of like, you know, dry education on this side and then like clickbait sensationalists on this side like we hug a real nice middle uh, so that people are entertained and having fun and also leave nourished jewishly and kind of enriched so thanks for that answer before we get too deep into it i'm, I'm just wondering if you can lay out for our, our listeners who on the chance they're not familiar kind of what Bim Bomb is the scope of the scope of what you do. Sure. Um, so Bim Bomb is uh, our, our mission is to uh, spark connections to Judaism through digital storytelling for learners of all ages. Uh, we have over 350 videos in our library, um, oh. and the videos aim to connect people with Judaism uh, throughout their journey and throughout different phases of life. Uh, connect with the Jewish values, make people feel more comfortable and knowledgeable so they can engage in ritual and custom and be part of community, uh, and also to engage with Jewish text and story uh, in, a, in a more comprehensive way. And we feel like we can do that through showing things, teaching things digitally through video, and also reaching people on their handheld devices, which is you know where people are engaging with content or, or Googling, what do I do? How do I how do I engage? You know, people get invited to a baby naming or a bris and have, don't have experience with that. If they understand what's behind the ritual and what they're going to be seeing, they can engage in that moment, that kind of like real important Jewish moment in a different way that makes them feel more a part of something bigger than themselves than if they just didn't know what was happening and felt kind of like a wallflower. So I don't know if um, if if you're aware, our organization just uh, that we work for just w underwent uh, a name change from 
Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and Jewish Reconstructionist communities to Reconstructing Judaism. So from one organization that underwent a name change to another, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about um, your your name change, which I believe happened a, a year or two ago? What what sort of went went into that? Yeah, we we changed the name two years ago, although people are, seem to be having a lot of trouble with it. Like, in other words, people who've known us forever keep calling us Godcast. I, it, but here's the deal. Um, uh, we've always needed to change the name. It was always a funny name idea that I came up with 12 years ago because I thought we were going to be like a visual podcast, you know, that, oh, we're going to be an animated podcast. That's literally how I thought of what I was doing. Um, that's not how it worked out just because the internet went the way the internet went and YouTube became what YouTube is. And, and we're, so, so the name has been kind of a misnomer for a while. And, and, and then you layer onto that, this problem we started having, which is that our phone calls would go unreturned when we would reach out to Jewish institutions because they, people thought we were Christians from our name, <laughs> that somehow the focus on the word God was, was flipping people out. Um, that's a really interesting phenomenon that the word God should bother Jews so much, but um, it does. And it's been a liability for us with funders with, I mean, it's, it's been a problem for a long time. So two years ago, we finally had the opportunity to sit down and make a change and, and we went for it. And I'll say, you know, it, it also kind of hindered our role as a knowledge increaser and as a, 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 a medium that has the ability to reach people who might not be inside the community because, you know, one of the things we try and do is decrease discomfort as a barrier to engagement. And the word God can be uncomfortable for a lot of people who want a sense of connection, want a sense of community, you know, or have the ability to find that within Judaism, but that, but the God word can be, can be an obstacle to that. So the fact that it's not there anymore and, and Bimbam has a Jewish connotation, but isn't kind of explicit in that way, um, we felt like was a positive. And, you know, aside from the fact that, again, as Sarah said, some of our longstanding fans can't not call it a <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's been very positively received in the community. What drew you to the name Bim Bomb? I mean, I think I think in my head of the little the little Shabbat song where you go like Bim Bomb, Bim Bim. That's it. Like, you got it. See, I end of story. It's a it's you know it's just a fun mm-hmm. fun phrase. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I, that that's the that's the the origin story. I think you know when I when I think about it in terms of my own understanding and my own kind of feeling about it. I think that, you know, there's only, there's a Nagoon element to, to that song, the Bim Bomb song. Um, and I think that, that, you know, Nagoons kind of prepare you for deeper prayer. And I think there's a way in which interacting with Bim Bomb's content is a, is a, a nice preparatory step to being involved in community. We're not a convener of community ourselves, but we really do give people a great baseline and primer so that when they are in opportunities to connect Jewishly, um, that they're prepared to do so and can do so in a, in a more fulfilling and meaningful and, and deeper way. Was it Schoolhouse Rocks? How does how does a bill become a law? I seem I seem to remember that. Um, so I, I was really thinking, how does how does an idea become a video? I, I look at these videos. I have no idea how much time and work goes into them, but I'm sure it's it's uh, more than I can imagine. Yeah, um, like for a typical, uh, do you want you, you want to take Shaboom for an example? Sure. That's, that, 
that's on the high end. I mean, we work in a traditional kids media process. So we start with curriculum. What are the takeaways that children and to some extent their parents want to take from the video? So for instance, right now we're working on a Rosh Hashanah episode. So curricularly, what can we teach there? I mean, you, you guys um, from where you're sitting can could probably rattle off 20 different things you'd like children age four to seven to know about Rosh Hashanah. We've decided to focus on the concept of, um, although we're not going to use the phrase of Cheshbon HaNefesh, that it's a chance in the year to look at who am I and how can I get back to being a, the best version of myself possible. Um, so that's, that's the concept we're going to focus on. We're going to showcase some rituals without going as deeply into them. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about why hearing a shofar is part of the holiday. We're gonna talk about why apples and honey, and we're gonna teach the word shuva. Okay, so those that's curricularly what's going on are those four things. Um, we decided on that first. Then we work with the writer to create a, a what he calls uh, a story shape. Like what might happen with the characters? What kind of problem might happen? Um, given the Bible for the show that we established two years ago, the rules of the world, the magic and how it works in the world, what might happen that would give us an opportunity to teach about those things? Some of those ideas came very easily. For instance, there's, there's going to be this wackadoodle thing around that the Plonies, our, our, our family, our, our hapless family, are, mm. are going to be trying to make their own honey jars as um, gifts and as fundraising for their synagogue. And, but accidentally, um, the kids are going to give away too much honey and there isn't any left for their own dinner and what's going to happen. And, um, but fortunately, Papa Plony uh, is a beekeeper, we learn in this episode. And so there's going to be <laughs> some silliness around bees and honey that, that kids will really, that they'll really enjoy. So once there's a story shape, we then move into a real screenplay. Um, we have an incredible team of actors, including... Um, Emmy winners. I mean, it's, it's really a, a, a killer team and we record them in Los Angeles. They're all LA based. Um, we're already working on music, doing a, a, a kiddie version of, uh, of the High Holiday Nusach for background music. Um, and at the same time that that's going on, we're working on storyboards. We have a dedicated storyboard artist who sketches out every shot. Um, we sync that up with the audio and then the music gets laid in. And then real animation begins. And that's a dedicated team of, of motion artists, of animators who, who move our characters around and bring the whole show to life. And so the whole process, we're going to launch that video on or around August 10th in time for the holiday a month later. So we're already well underway here as we're talking right now. It's April and we're already in screenplay and I'm booking voiceover. So it's, you know, it's really a six month process and each episode of that show costs about $50,000 to produce which you know in the scheme of the kind of work that you know most folks in Jewish education do sounds like an enormous amount of money but in the scheme of children's media production it's incredibly cheap and everyone we work with in the kind of Disney Pixar PBS world is like wow you guys are scrappy that's right <laughs> you guys are scrappy so we um we've spent you know to date you know, almost $600,000 producing um, Shaboom that, that you can find online. And it's, we're just so proud that it's touched hundreds of thousands of people who are engaging with it for a long time and, yeah. and who are learning a lot. So I think that's 
that's philanthropic dollars really well spent. And we're so proud to have such a high quality Jewish presence online that we're behind. Actually, I, I mentioned my kids, but I know my, um, my mother watched one or two of the, the episodes with, with them. And, and I know, I don't remember which one, but you know, there was a, a concept, a Jewish value in there. And, and she said, Hmm, I never, I never knew that. So I guess you're not, you're not just necessarily reaching kids with that. That's right. It's really a dual, a dual audience there. And I think whenever you're doing work for early childhood, you're not just reaching the four-year-old, but you're, you're reaching their parent or their grandparent. That's right. One of the things that I find really interesting, because um, I ended up finding you as an adult, and I, like you, I didn't have a very, I didn't have much of a strong Jewish background growing up, because I grew up in the middle of the desert in Arizona, where there weren't that many Jews. Um, and so I came across, at the time it was Godcast, and I still go on Bim Bomb, um, where you had these animated videos, and... I didn't feel like when I watched them, yes, you have this show that's for kids, but you have these, most of your videos are actually geared towards adults. So what kind of planning do you have to go in there um, to be able to create these videos so an adult can look at these things without feeling like um, like a chi- like they're being treated like a child or you know, feeling some sort of embarrassment because they didn't know enough? I mean, that's where, that's where I'm coming from. Like I also grew up in not the desert, but the hinterlands. I grew up in a very small Jewish community in South Carolina. And, um, and so when I'm talking to adults, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to my, to myself, you know, or to my peers that obviously you're an intelligent adult and I'm going to, you know, teach you what the word Tanakh means, but I'm not going to treat you like a child. Like you're just an adult who, for whatever reason, never learned that phrase. So I'm, you know, I think that's what we do. We, we talk to people as intelligent adults in a really welcoming, easy to understand way. Yeah. And I think because of that, you know, we, we have in mind based on, you know, whatever piece of content we're producing, what our target audience is, but in terms of like what audience it's applicable to, it's like such a broad spectrum. You know, we hear about kids who as part of their Shabbat family tradition are watching our, our Parsha series every week, you know, kids as young as like eight uh, and interacting with it. It's, is it targeting eight year olds? No, but can they have a meaningful interaction with it? Absolutely. Um, and, and the same goes skewing high, like you said for your mom, with Shaboom, you know, the target for that is three to seven-year-olds, but are there a lot of adults who don't know what Omet's Lev or, you know, the values that we talk about are? Absolutely. And so it's a learning experience for them as well. You mentioned funders a little while ago, and, and I know you guys are a nonprofit, and I, I want to get into this because it's certainly a question as to whether donors, philanthropists are are willing to fund the most innovative work, are willing to take risks to to fund things like yours that really don't have an antecedent or, or a model. So I guess before, before I hit that head on, I just wanted to ask the, the impact question, like how do, you, how do you think about measure the ways that your content impacts, changes people's lives? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, one thing that, that we, we know, you know, we are a, Jew, a Jewish Nonprofit, but we are a media studio more specifically. And so I think that we 
you know, think about things as a media studio. And, and because of that, because of, you know, the development cycle for content, uh, how an idea becomes a video, as we talked about before, you know, there's a lot of education that we have to do outwardly to funders to talk about how, how our process works. And it's not just like money to video. There's a whole R&D phase. There's a whole, you know, to make sure that we're just not throwing content up on the wall, but that we're actually responding to the needs of the community, making content that's high quality. Uh, so we do a lot of education outwardly. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, when you look at media research, you know, there's 40 years of media research talking about how content and digital content is effective as an educational vehicle. Um, it's not, you know, specific to Jewish content, but if, you know, we like to believe that Jews are people, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, what a it's media research that is done on the wide scale has applicability here. Um, so, so there's a lot of research out there that talks about the efficacy and the value of, of education through digital content. Um, you know, we, for us and for the industry, really, the metric that matters is watch time. Um, you know, people spend a lot of time talking about views. I got this many views. And, you know, from platform to platform, the, the value of a view is, is different. But really, it's a, it's a vanity metric in a lot of ways. Because if you spend seven seconds on a video or if you spend seven minutes on a video, oftentimes that's counted as a view. Whereas for us, you know, because education is such an important part, it's really our mission is, is around, you know, connecting people to Judaism and, and making sure that there is a knowledge increase and a literacy increase, how long people spend with us is a much more telling metric of our impact. And if somebody spends three minutes, five minutes watching one of our videos, we can infer that there was literacy increase, that there was information and, and, and kind of knowledge transferred during that experience. So we, we map our, our minutes of watch time and we know through YouTube, through the analytics there, that we've uh, been responsible for over 13 million minutes of watch time, which is over 26 years of Jewish education that we've added. Um, and, and we also know that 2017, that number jumped 74% over 2016's number. So we've got a nice hockey stick going in terms of how, how long people are spending with us, and it keeps going up. That's a beautiful metric to be able to say to somebody, oh, we've we've contributed 26 years of learning out into the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we're 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 there yet on on this show, but um just to just to follow up on that, I'm I'm sure you've you've somewhere along the way you've you've met a traditionalist who said or 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 somebody who've said I worry that you're giving people permission to skip the text or you're you're steering them away from the text towards towards video. If have you been asked that, and and if not, how do you how do you respond to that? So we, our it, our content is in some cases supplementary, and in some cases it really is the only Jewish educational interface that people use, and it's intended to be both of those things for whomever is interacting with us. Um, there are people for whom traditional modalities of Jewish education are really effective and nourishing and entertaining, and that's great, and we don't want to take that away, but we do want to be supplementary and provide a really interesting 
and entertaining educational experience that can supplement what they're getting in a traditional setting. But there are a lot of people who don't live near a synagogue, who don't feel a comfortable uh, opportunity to have Jewish engagement and Jewish education in their normal life, in their daily life. And for a lot of those people, we are that interface that feels comfortable, meaningful, authentic. Um, so, so I would say that um, for people who are concerned about us supplanting traditional Jewish educational environments, I think those educational environments should do, you know, should be involved in the process of figuring out how to modernize and how to kind of make sure that they're reactive to what the needs of the contemporary Jewish community are, but we're not actively involved in trying to, you know, take their place. I, I also, I would layer onto that, just, this is just true, right? We, we surveyed a thousand teachers a few years back, Jewish educators, most of whom work in supplementary settings, you know, congregational schools. And overwhelmingly, they told us that, for instance, like, if they were showing one of our Parsha videos, um, they weren't showing it instead of a text, that in fact, they don't get to, sh to study text at all. They don't study text at all in these people's religious schools. Their curriculum is too full with only three hours a week with mm -hmm. teaching holidays, Shabbat, Shoah, history of Israel, like whatever. They actually do not do traditional text study at all. And for some of these teachers using the bim bomb video was like, well, at least we, at least we heard a drosh on the Persia, at least, <laughs> which is, is really, um, that is sad on its own. Um, and, and just an interesting, interesting food for thought. What's wrong, maybe, maybe in religious school, if text study isn't even a thing, I mean, it's just not happening at all. Uh oh, well, that's right. not our fault. That's right. there's a there's a deeper problem to look at there. And I'll address too. I'm, I'll I'll kind of jump in front of your question. Uh, the you know another kind of concern is about in a similar vein is about screen time in kids. And sure. so research research tells us that kids as young as two are watching an hour and a half of screen time a day at at least. Wow. So. We're not saying let's let's con let's contribute to that. We're saying that is a fact. We live in that world. Let's take some of that screen time and have it be nourishing, Jewish, wholesome content. <laughs> right. Zero parents who don't let their kids watch TV are like, oh, but bim bomb and right. you know that's we're not the screen time problem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we're not causing a screen time problem. <laughs> We are providing an opportunity for that screen time to be better. So you seem like you've been actually at the this cutting edge when it comes to Jewish education through your experience with your videos. And um, and now you're and you bring up a really good point as well about being able to be a supplementary resource um, for information that doesn't exist out there or um or, you know, getting a feel for what's being taught in the Hebrew schools. Um, so you're you're at that cutting edge and you're still there and you are still successful. And I'm curious from your views and from the people you've talked to and as um, your community is growing and growing and growing, what does that Jewish world look like to you from, from the edge? I mean, everyone's having these conversations, right? Like everyone wants to know if and how digital media should be part of what we're doing. Everyone wants to know 
if or how religious schools should change. Everyone wants to know if or how media should be part of day schools. I, I, I mean, I see a lot of really great conversations going on. I think some forward thinking institutions are doing a lot of experimenting. I think it's cool that that there's you know a maker movement happening in schools and that kids are learning to make podcasts. And I, I, I see a lot of, of cool energy going on. I unfortunately see a lot of, um, of underfunding. I think there's not enough oxygen for all these projects to survive. Um, and I worry about the community kind of starving slowly just for not having enough oxygen. And I think it's important that more philanthropic dollars be coming into education. That's just not where the community is really focused, like as a whole. That's what, that's what I see. I see a lot of worries about assimilation and continuity and connection to Israel. I see all these things, but I don't see enough focus being put onto yet. And that starts in, in pre-K to 12. And, and that funding and nourishing experiments in education is how we're going to make a bright future together. It's too late, I think. Interventions in, in people's 20s and 30s are really important, but I think interventions when people are five is where it starts. Mm. I mean, you guys really filled a niche where people almost didn't realize there was a there was a need before. Do you, do you have any advice to sort of the next crop of social entrepreneurs looking to looking to come up with that next big idea that sort of energizes Jewish life? I don't think that it's really on entrepreneurs to come up with ideas. I think it's on social entrepreneurs to listen to communities that they care about and to let those communities inform, you know, whatever it is we design. Like, you know, that's what was going on with me is that I was whatever, 30 and hanging out with a lot of people like myself and where we would go for answers is the internet and there weren't great Jewish answers there. So that's what I worked on. I, I just, I think that um, it, it, it just has to be grassroots, you know, that if what you're, you know, just for instance, if what you are passionate about, for instance, is reinventing B'nai Mitzvah, I would just spend a lot of time with 11 and 12 year old kids and their teachers and listen to them. And that's where the entrepreneurship comes from. It comes from, from that audience that it impacts. I don't think that we can sit here kind of on high with dollars and our brains and design solutions for the future without listening to audiences. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, <clears throat> I think that looking at the community <clears throat> and using indicators to gauge whatever, observance, commitment, affiliation, you know, using kind of those words, using indicators that are, that are still within a traditional box um, to try and gauge innovation and, and try and kind of look at new forms of, of connecting to Judaism isn't going to produce um, a robust and thriving new expression. And I think that there's a lot of new stuff happening, a lot of experimentations with Jewish, Jewish um, feeling without maybe traditional indicators or, or traditional practices that look or feel like familiar with Judaism, but are imbued with a Jewish value, imbued with like a Jewish sensibility, um, and like how to measure those things, how to how to support them. I think is really the um, the task, the new task of of the community is just really like figuring out. Well, it doesn't look traditionally Jewish to me, but there's something 
there's something kind of Jewish about it and I want to see what's there and push it um, and feel like that's, you know, a, a legitimate form of, you know, Jewish expression. Is there a, is there a cool project you can tease for us? Are we, are we looking to have the, the 26 volumes of the Talmud animated or what's, what, what's next? Hint, 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 you that's find the $4 million. That's right. Yes. That's, that's right. right. It comes back to that, huh? I think, I think that for us, you know, I think we've, one of our, one of our kind of nice and unique brand promises is, is really a voice that is um, authoritative without being authoritarian. And that is, um, <laughs> you know, that, that really does bridge that humor without being flip educational without being dry. And I think that we're looking at, okay, you know, we've done some Jewish values education. We've done kind of like culture, ritual, holiday. We've done Tanakh. You know, what What are some other aspects of Judaism that we can bring that voice to? Uh, so, we're, you know, we're looking at some things around Jewish history. Um, you know, we're looking at some, um, some other opportunities maybe to go a little bit deeper on some topics. Uh, and, you know, people who maybe have a Judaism 101 under their belt, but are looking for a little bit more exploration, a little bit more granular. Um, so we're looking at keeping that voice, that kind of constant voice, but new opportunities to, to use that voice to talk about Judaism. Wow, so it's only getting deeper from here. Yeah, bossing, for sure. So before we before we let you go, because I'm curious from all of the content that you have out there, um, I don't want to ask you what your favorite video is, but maybe it's the same answer. But what of all of your content, what have you learned? The, what piece have you put out there that you've personally learned the most about, like learned the most from as a as a viewer rather than as a producer? Hmm. Oh, it's such a great question. I mean, I would say the my peak experience was um, was probably our a program called Studio Godcast. We ran in 2012 and 13 where we brought students together and we tackled 10, 12 of the, you know, kind of greatest hits of the Talmud. And these were stories that if you dip into Talmud at all, you've probably heard most of them, but it was an opportunity to go deep into 12 stories over a week and to animate them. And it was bringing visual midrash to Talmud was really a peak experience for me and, and learning about how much, you know, Talmud comes from an oral tradition, which was then written down. And now we were bringing it into film and it was really exciting. It felt like being at kind of a new Yavna. It was, it was really exciting. And I, whenever I get a chance to do more of that type of work is, is kind of peak for me. What about you, Jordan? I think for me, again, I'm, I'm going to hedge a little bit um, and, and talk less about a video, but more about kind of a program and an experience. We've been, um, last year, we, we did the third uh, version of a program where we bring a cross-section of rabbis together to create content together and workshop content together to generate scripts. Uh, we ran it in Chicago last year, and we used rabbis from across the spectrum, from Orthodox all the, you know, all the way to renewal, humanist, um, and, and the magic and the energy that's created in that room, uh, when everyone's kind of moving towards the same goal, which is forming authentic and meaningful connections to Judaism, but bringing their own stories and their own history to the table, and the really, like, um, the generosity and the um, good feeling that is created in creating these scripts that really, that, that kind of, 
again, is not prescriptive. It's not people saying like orthodoxy is right. It's people coming together to say, how can we create the most meaningful content that has the most impact and value? So we, we've, we're in the process of releasing kind of a slow drip. Um, the pieces that we made from that project that are all about different aspects of uh, tefillah and prayer. Um, and so I think that those, those because of kind of what was behind them uh, are the most meaningful to me. And by the way, what are the, what are the places where, where people can find your, your content? It's your website, um, bimbom.com, mm-hmm. but there are other, other places too, right? Yeah, we're, uh, we have two YouTube channels, Bimbam. And by the way, it's B-I-M-B-A-M. Thank you. Uh, Bimbam is our general Judaism channel. And then Shaboom is our kids and family focused channel. Um, so you can find us on those channels, of course, via, you know, the apps. If you're on YouTube kids, you'll, you know, you'll find our show in there. Um, and then, you know, we partner here and there with brick and mortar institutions. So for instance, here in San Francisco, the Contemporary Jewish Museum has a kiosk where they show our videos, um, which is really cool. Um, I, from time to time, we hear about synagogues that do this too. Um, they, they actually set up a screen on a wall and have the videos on loop JCCs. This was, uh, this was fantastic. Thanks for, uh, giving us and our listeners a window into into what you do we we can't wait to uh we can't wait to see what's next and uh hopefully have a chance to to chat again one day and as somebody who was kind of in that target audience who didn't have that kind of education growing up it's been a great resource and i hope that all of our listeners definitely check it out so that's bimbam b-i-m-b-a-m dot com Thank you so much, Sarah and Jordan, for joining us on Trending Jewish. And you can check out Bimbom's content on bimbom.com. You can also find them on YouTube as well. And you can check us out on Facebook. We're on facebook.com slash trending Jewish. And you can check us out on our website. And we have other links and different resources you can check out at trendingjewish.fireside.fm and feel free to send us a message on our website if you have any comments you have any ideas of people we should talk to or what you're curious about going on in the jewish world right now please feel free to send us a message and you can subscribe to our podcast on google play and on itunes and stitcher and castro and wherever you can download podcasts And if you like what you're listening to and you like the work that Reconstructing Judaism does, you can definitely show your support, support our work by going to reconstructingjudaism.org slash support. Yalla bye.